You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. It's Small Market Meets Big Market Wednesdays on the Locked On NBA Podcast. Join Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans Podcast and John Corrales of Locked On Celtics for a look at the NBA week from all angles. Follow the Locked On NBA Podcast today on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. Kicking off another episode today with some news from around the league and also wrapping up some of my Hall of Fame coverage with some questions about future potential inductees that might represent the Heat. I think it's a fun conversation to have, but I'll start off with the latest news from your very own Miami Heat that they've added swingman Caleb Martin to the roster. He spent the past two years with the Charlotte Hornets. Caleb is six foot five, weighs about 200 and some pounds. He's a wing player, two weeks shy of his 26th birthday. His twin brother, Cody, plays for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, they have spent the past two seasons there as well in Charlotte. Of course, they both played at the University of Nevada. Caleb was the better player collegiately, I think. But something changed, I guess, at the NBA level where Cody wound up getting the majority of the minutes, at least so far in their respective careers. Cody, still a member of the Hornets, but Caleb, his brother, was waived by the team. And he is no longer with that group, of course. And now a member of the Miami Heat signed as a two-way player here with the last two-way contract option for the Miami Heat. Now, I asked one of the hosts of Locked on Hornets for their take on Caleb Martin, and this is basically what he told me. He is functional, is the best way I could explain it to you. He's average to slightly above average defensively, and of the two Martin twins, he'll be the better scorer for what that's worth. I think you can do worse if he's one of the two-way guys. So... Not exactly a golden recommendation there, but I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of make, it makes a lot of sense for the Heat, and I'll go a step further and say that I think it's actually going to be a pretty good deal for the team. I think I'm banking a lot on Miami's ability to develop players, but I kind of see something similar to what's been going on with the Markeith Morris-Marcus Morris twin combination, where... Uh, Mark Keefe, now a member of the Miami Heat, of course, wound up being the better player earlier in his career. And then Marcus slowly but surely wound up eclipsing his older brother, uh, well, older by 11 minutes. Of course, they're both twins. But anyway, he wound up surpassing him. Now, Marcus, a member of the Los Angeles Clippers, widely considered the better of the two players. Something odd happened there where the switch kind of just got flipped from one player being very good. And then all of a sudden, Marcus... The other brother wound up being much better. It's odd to predict exactly how that played out the way it did. Just at one point, Marcus was with the uh, Boston Celtics and his career arc started steadily improving, whereas Marquise started declining and it wasn't quite clear. Now, a lot of people theorize they just switched. Uh, entirely possible, right? This is a almost like a Disney movie, like The Parent Trap or something like that, where you can just switch role players and nobody will ever notice. But as far as Caleb Martin is concerned, look, like, you know, Lockton Hornets said, he doesn't do anything particularly well right there. He's a solid defender, a decent scorer, like, he'll provide some bunnies. He can get to the rim on occasion. He's got good size. 
He stretched the floor in his rookie season where he shot 50% on just limited attempts from three-point range. I think overall 17 of 34, something like that around that area. And then in his second season, shot significantly worse with increased minutes and increased shooting opportunities. So, you know, I'm not going to say he's a three-point shooter. I think his shot looks wonky as hell. His footing needs to be adjusted. His release is a little clunky. I, I guess that's my... Uh, in expert opinion, uh, as far as what his shooting form looks like. So I'm not going to say he's a three point threat. I think you just want to have him out there as a guy who can just sick on opposing players. If you need a ball stopper, if you need something like that. And I think that's where his role is most effective. Other than that, look, he's a project. Uh, you need a body especially with training camp about two weeks away. Uh, we just got notification regarding Heat Media Day on Monday, September 27th, and training camp will begin shortly after that. Of course, players are already working out pretty re regularly on their own or in groups, so uh, things will kick off, and they'll be snowballing very quickly, very soon. So I, I think it's good to always bring somebody in here. And again, you know, a little bit of some familiarity with the division, he has some understanding of the NBA skill set. I guess he is somebody that you can have already on the roster if the KZ Opala experiment just continues to prove that it will not pan out. And if that's the case, you always want to have somebody out there who will just challenge Jimmy Butler or challenge somebody else in the roster. You need They're banking on enough of the versatility between Duncan, Jimmy, Bam, P.J. Tucker, etc., where you can mix and match lineups. It's a pretty positionless roster with the exception of Kyle Lowry, and even Kyle Lowry defensively can guard multiple positions. So I, I think the addition of somebody who, who fits the right size model, as Martin does, again, just makes sense. And and I'm, I don't know, I'm oddly optimistic about this. Normally I would just write this off and say, uh, you're just bringing somebody in. But somehow it kind of just feels like it makes sense. You know, you got a guy who has something to prove, separated from his twin brother, probably for the first time in their respective careers, uh, just like the Lopez brothers, right? It was just like the, the Morris twins. All of a sudden, when they get split up, things happen differently. And, and I think you could start to see some progress made from Caleb. Nothing exact here. This is not scientific. Uh, this is nothing, any kind of shrewd analysis on my part, but I just feel like, when brothers are pulled apart like that, uh, they start to kind of develop their own tendencies, their own way of doing things. And again, you have to bank on Miami's proven track record of development, getting the most out of a player like that. So given that he already has some familiarity with the NBA skill set, that he has some skills, that he can shoot from the perimeter, that he can get to the rim, that he can, most importantly, defend at a pretty high level or pretty decent level, let's say then those kinds of things translate pretty well, I think. And and if he can find a niche with Miami, especially during training camp, I could see him sticking around for a time. Like, he spent a lot of time in Greensboro, North Carolina last year as part of the Hornets G League squad. I would imagine that he would probably spend some time with the Sioux Falls Sky Force as well. Of course, if you recall, I, I think, well... I don't know how the G League is playing out this year. I know, obviously, before the pandemic, you had a limited amount of time to spend with the roster uh, in with the big league club. Before you had to go back there, you could only spend a certain number of games and active duty. I think they suspended that last year because, well, you know, playing through a pandemic was always going to be a challenging thing. And, of course, players were going to get injured. You had to have somebody available on certain nights because, again, there were games like there were for Miami where you were fielding eight active players, the bare minimum available. And if that's the case, I think 
I'm not sure how that's going to progress moving forward. I don't think there's been any kind of clarification. We're starting to get you know more and more information about how the league will move forward with the season regarding COVID testing and everything else like that. So as far as uh, how the G League number of days and, and, and the number of opportunities that Martin will get to potentially stay with a team, if he can stay with a team year-round, that would be better, obviously, because he would get more experience. He would get challenged by Jimmy Butler. On you know on and on, I think these are obvious reasons why he would continue to improve and show growth, and just continue to put the work in. You want those coaches to be available there to teach you all that they possibly can to help you grow your game, and I think that makes so much more sense for almost any player. I, I would prefer that they do that anyway. I think they should just open up roster spots as much as possible and just give those guys the opportunity. Because honestly, to travel back and forth from the G League to there, like just think of the the trip that it would take to go from Sioux Falls all the way back to Miami or to join the team on the road uh, on a night-to-night basis. I, I remember talking to Alex Caruso, of all people, uh, years and years ago when he was with the what was it the South Bay Lakers I can't I, I think that's the name of their G League affiliate in any case just having to travel between there and Los Angeles on a night to night basis never easy Duncan Robinson went through the same experience I know a lot of people want to chalk it all up to uh, builds character nah, it doesn't it does not build character what it does is just exhaust you you know I, I know it proves or at least it hardens whatever uh, determination you might have that you want to prove that you can get, stay at this level. But it's really just a pain in the ass. Like, you're going to go through it no matter what because you're trying to get your cup of coffee in the league as whenever through whatever means necessary. But having to travel, having to get on a bus, having to hop on. And again, we've heard stories like this in the past where a player gets pulled out after a game or even maybe even before a game that they think they're going to suit up for the G League team and say, no, no, you're going up to X team at X city. You better get over there now where they have to run to the airport. And then from there, they hopefully can get a car to pick them up and things of this sort. They don't get a lot of money. These players are making salaries probably a lot lower than yours are right now, even with the G League experience. You think, that oh, they're NBA players. Absolutely true. They don't get paid a whole heck of a lot of money. And given all that, it's not like they have a wealth of resources. You know, it's inconvenient for them to have to pack up their bags, throw their toothbrush in there. And it's not like the teams always go out of their way to accommodate them anyway. And, you know, you get – if you're lucky, you get – put into a hotel room or maybe the team will pick up the bill. And if that's the case, that's a little bit more, you know, comfort because you don't have to worry about where you're spending that night. You know, I guess you could, in an ideal world, hope that one of your, uh, you know, more wealthy veteran teammates will pony up some time for you to, you know, spend it at their crib or or be able to go to a hotel room because they can certainly afford it. But, you know, the reality is most NBA guys are pretty cheap and they don't necessarily give out a lot of their hard-earned money. Anyway, that this is all going way too deep into the nuances of G League behavior and their adjustments to the NBA level. But hopefully for Caleb, he's able to, you know, stick around, continue to grow and develop, uh, develop here in Miami. I think it'll be a good opportunity for him. And let's be honest, Miami can certainly use the additional wing help. But I'll move on a little bit and talk about John Wall as a possibility for the Miami Heat because I think it seems pretty likely that he'll be on Miami's radar and if he's not already, and I'll talk about that in the next segment. But first, let me tell you a little bit about DirecTV. I've talked about it before. I, it's a simple way to get all of the entertainment that you love without the hassle. DirecTV Stream brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports 
movies and shows all in one place. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. player that's looking to earn their way into the NBA to another player who's trying to prove that he still belongs. I'll move on with the latest news from Sham Sharani of The Athletic that the Houston Rockets and John Wall have apparently met and have agreed that John isn't going to play. Like we've seen this play out over the last couple seasons, a very new wrinkle in the player agency dynamic that keeps evolving because obviously this isn't this isn't an angry player like James Harden demanding that he gets traded or a player just expecting more. And again, I, I have no problem with it. I know, I know the average fan thinks about Harden forcing his way out and, you know, you got a contract, you fulfill it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I don't adhere to that. I think, okay, how about this? Maybe it's not ridiculous. Opinions vary. But a player is expected to do certain things, most of which is win and produced at a high level in order to lead to winning. But the dynamic changes. Teammates get traded. Russell Westbrook gets traded. Chris Paul gets traded, and so forth and onward. And if that's the case, then what's Harden going to do? He's only he's the only guy that's still there at a superstar level. They assign Christian Wood. They bring in DeMarcus Cousins. They trade for John Wall. Like, all fine additions, but not necessarily a championship window kind of thing, which is where Harden's mindset is at. And that's where the team was at until they, you know, fire their head coach and replace their general manager. And Daryl Morey gets bought out of his last year of his contract and so forth. All these things play out differently. And then all of a sudden the expectations for Harden's are for Harden is the same. And it's not fair because that's not realistic. All of a sudden that team is no longer a contender the way they were a couple seasons back with Chris Paul or a couple seasons before that with Dwight Howard in his, if not necessarily prime, close to. But this feels a lot like what happened last season with Detroit when they announced that Blake Griffin wasn't going to play much, that it made no sense for him to stay with the team to get any kind of active minutes when they were trying to develop other young players. And Blake, of course, towards the tail end of his career, no longer as functional as he once was. And then, of course, he gets bought out and he joins a championship contender in Brooklyn, and all of a sudden he's energized. And I think we're going to see something similar from that from John Wall, although the report itself says, no buyout is imminent, and I call bullshit on that because it's $91 million that you're paying to John Wall over the next two seasons of his career, and nobody is going to pay that. Now, I've heard some people say <laughs> that they believe, oh, some team will go through that motion, that go through that process of acquiring John Wall. You know, trade bad salaries for bad salaries and hope that maybe you can get something out of John Wall's contract, especially if you're a contender that needs a proven point guard. Miami, a contender, they do need a point guard. They're not going to pay anybody $91 million. They don't want to pay Jimmy Butler $91 million, and they have to. They don't want to pay Bam that or Kyle Lowry. They didn't pay Kyle Lowry. They're paying him less than $30 million a year. At this point in time, who would you rather pay $30 million a year to, Kyle or John Wall? If they're not even paying 30 for Kyle, they're certainly not going to pay 40 something for John Wall. So nobody's taking on that contract, at least not in my belief. You've already traded John Wall for the one contract that's similarly bad. That's Russell Westbrook's. Westbrook, now a member of the Los Angeles Lakers, traded for the third time in, in the same number of seasons. Strangely enough, like I never really believed that from, from 
Oklahoma City to Houston, from Houston to Washington, now from Washington to Los Angeles. Somehow, teams will continue to find a way to trade for a player like that. But Westbrook isn't injured like John Wall is. I think it's different. Now, Wall had some good moments last year. I think he's shown that he's fairly bounced back. He works out in Miami regularly. My belief is that he's a member of the Miami Heat waiting to happen. I really believe that. I think eventually the two teams agree to a buyout. The argument I've seen is that Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta, a name that I can never quite remember or pronounce accurately. I'm sure I probably butchered that name somewhat. Who cares? I'm not a big Tillman Fertitta fan anyway. I don't think anybody in the NBA is a big Tillman Fertitta fan other than Tillman Fertitta. Having said that, he's notoriously uh, tight-pocketed, even for an NBA owner, despite the fact that he is, I think, a billionaire of some renown and has quite a successful uh, restaurant and hotel chain and things of that sort, but he is somewhat of a penny pincher. And if you're paying John Wall $91 million over the next two seasons with an agreement already and publicly stated that he's not going to play, well, you've kind of shot yourself in the foot yet again the same way you did last season with the James Harden trade. I just don't get what that rationale is. If you're already saying, look, we're not going to pay you. We don't want to look. We're not going to play you. Excuse me. We don't want to pay you ninety-one million dollars because nobody wants to pay you ninety-one million dollars. And yet we're still hoping that somebody's going to throw similar contracts to add up to that, or you know, first-round picks or something—a package of players and picks—in order to pry you off of our roster. Where's the leverage? Why would anybody just go? Oh yeah, I can't wait to take on John Wall's salary in exchange for you know whatever. I don't even know what a, a you know package that would provide something of equal value. It would have to be some several monstrous salaries. Now I've, you know, there is a possibility of him returning to Washington where of course he was beloved there and a fan favorite and everything else like that. But that doesn't make sense either. The wizards are a better team now having traded away Westbrook, even though Westbrook is the big star name, the big star player. I think they're a much more even keeled roster with a much more, uh, you know, widely spread out talent field. I think they're they're a much more balanced roster. They've got some solid players, some good bodies out there. They've got some guys that can contribute in different ways, from stretching the floor to providing some muscle on the inside. Just more depth in general for a team that really didn't have it and went through some terrible injury issues last season, and they needed that help. So I don't see any reason why they would reacquire John Wall through a trade anyway. Now, if he does get bought out. Why the reason for him to join Miami? Well, I think there's a Kentucky connection. I think there's a clear role for him here where he would be automatically penciled in as Miami's backup point guard. I think he would love this system. I think, again, he already works out in Miami. He always already loves Miami. The Kentucky connection, I think, is a strong selling point. The fact that there's a clear roster spot here available for him, like you'd have to probably wave KZ Opala. Easier said than done, I'm sure, unfortunately for KZ himself. But... I think it just makes a lot of sense. I really do think that at some point, the Rockets have to say, well, no one's going to trade for John Wall. And why are we going to pay him this much money anyway? So for if you are a cheapskate or somebody who wants to save money, let's say this. Let's say we're being unfair to Fertitta, even though I don't really care about being unfair to Fertitta. If you're going to agree to pay somebody $91 million and there's no way that they can possibly earn that salary because you're not even going to play him and you've already made this public agreement before the season even starts, why would you do that? And why wouldn't you just agree to pay $80 million? You're still saving $11 million. Why wouldn't you agree to a buyout of $70 million? I think John Wall would take 70 of the next $91 million. 
I think that's a fair arrangement for him. And then at that time, he becomes an unrestricted free agent, and he can join any team. And having said that, again, Miami makes a lot of sense. There's a clear role for him. There's strong ties to his former alma mater. There's a town that he loves spending time in. I think he can learn from guys like Jimmy Butler. I think he can continue to thrive alongside uh, former Wildcats, Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo. Kyle Lowry will help work out with, with Wall. I think Eric Spolster could certainly sell the connection here. There's so and the opportunity that I've forgotten completely about the opportunity to just play the Wizards and beat them up and say, you should never have traded my ass in the first place. That's a huge sticking point. I really, I think that sooner rather than later, the Rockets will agree to a buyout with John Wall because they're not going to get any kind of commensurate value in a trade package for John Wall. I just think those days are done. I don't know. I, I've Sometimes it's so hard to predict exactly how salaries play out. Because right now, even as I'm talking about this show and recording this episode, you know, Aaron Gordon, who I saw up close for many, many years in Orlando, is getting paid $23 million a year because he just agreed to a four-year $92 million extension. Aaron Gordon, he of 35% shooting from three-point range. He of inconsistent offense and, and, you know, pretty solid defense overall. I understand that there's a, a window of championship contention and that you want to add a guy like Gordon to that roster, but... That is a lot of money to pay at Eric Gordon, and I see people justifying and explaining and saying it's a pretty good deal. I don't agree. I think it makes sense in the sense that you want to keep Gordon. I don't think you want to keep Gordon at $23 million a year, and I certainly don't think you want to keep John Wall on your roster at 40 something million dollars a year. So why not buy him out, let him play where he wants to, where he can have a role better suited for his declining age, health, and skill set? Just makes sense. And you know where that place is? That's right, baby. The Miami Heat. He'd be a great fit here. I would I would take away anything negative I ever said about John Wall in the past if he's a member of the Miami Heat and a much more clearly defined role. You're going to need a qualified backup. John plays that role perfectly. Kyle Lowry at some point is going to get bogged down by injuries. He's going to have some issue with an ankle or a thumb or a wrist or some other nagging extremity. And that being the case, you want to be able to have as little transition period as possible. You want to have somebody else who can handle the bulk of the playmaking duties. Wall will fit the bill perfectly here in South Florida, and I think it makes a lot of sense. So if he's bought out, I expect Miami to rise to the challenge right away and add him to this roster. But one thing that you can always count on is a great taste of Bilt Bar. These transitions are getting better and better. I mean it, though. Bilt Bar. Absolutely the best tasting of protein bar I've ever had. There's so many delicious flavors to choose from, whether your favorite is coconut or mint brownie or salted caramel, one of my favorites, cookies and cream, of course, always a good choice, German chocolate, so many good different flavors to try, all of them soft and easy to chew. You don't even know you're eating a protein bar. They're 100% covered in chocolate and 100% delicious. You can get a mixed box where you'll get two of each of the nine flavors. So if you don't know which one you prefer or if you don't haven't tried any of your Built Bars, which shame on you, this is the perfect opportunity. You can get exactly as many as you want and different types of flavors and try and figure out which one's your best. And the ones that you, if you don't like them for some strange reason, you can always give them away because believe me, other people will gladly take them off your hands. They've got all the nutrients you're looking for. They fit all sorts of different type, uh, types of diets. Uh, and if you're training, if you're just trying to lo lose or maintain weight, then Built Bar is for you. Uh, if you go to Built.com, 
and use the promo code LOCKED15. That's LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, 15. You get 15% off your order. So make sure you go to Built.com, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off only at Built.com. And when you save a little money over at Built Bar, make sure you take it over to Bet Online because we're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back to start another football season as always. Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. I know Miami fans may not exactly be thrilled with what's going on with the University of Miami, but there's hope that the Dolphins can turn things around, which means that you can go and make a little money. Because, look, if you go to Bet Online, you can check out their new updated site and interface with even more odds, props, and contests. BetOnline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code. NFL 100 from football to basketball to boxing right to your favorite Vegas casino games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports your online sportsbook experts and don't forget to use the promo code locked on Now, the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. So from optimism about Caleb Martin to the potential addition of John Wall, things look pretty positive, I think, for the Miami Heat. So hopefully... You're feeling the love. Hopefully you're feeling the heat and you're ready for the start of the season just a couple weeks away from now. But looking even further down the road, still with some fond recollections of my weekend in Springfield and the overall experience at the Hall of Fame enshrinement, some questions about future heat players and heat staff that might get enshrined into the Hall of Fame. And I thought I'd just talk, talk about that here ever so quickly because it's just always a fun exercise, right? Of course, as... Chris Bosch was being enshrined. He he chose Ray Allen, a former a current, excuse me, Hall of Famer, just uh, inducted a couple seasons ago, and Pat Riley, of course, inducted several years ago uh, uh, to present him uh, for the enshrinement this year. The presenters don't really do anything; they kind of just walk up on stage and sit there. It's all fun and games, but it's always good to have. Those players there. I thought a nice moment from this past enshrinement was Tony Kukoc being enshrined uh, and and being presented by Michael Jordan, who notoriously roasted him in the 1992 uh, U.S. Olympics. I'm sorry, not the U.S. World Olympics. And of course, Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the uh, Chicago Bulls, that brought Tony Kukoc here in the first place. Uh, when it comes to looking at former or future Heat players that might be, or not in the future, former Heat players that will one day be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, the obvious name, uh, it comes to mind, Dwayne Wade. Uh, Dwayne Wade will be eligible with the class of 2023. I hope to be there, of course, because, well, it'll be great fun to see Dwayne finally brought up uh, and, and added to where he belongs, the Hall of Fame class. It's going to be a great one because he's going to be joining Dirk Nowitzki. That's going to be, look, those two have always been kind of joined at the hip in strange ways from the 2006 finals that defined both of their careers in different ways. 
uh, to the 2011 and onward, even the fact that they both retired the same season with very different last years. Of course, uh, Dwayne's last dance and Dirk's more quietly going off into the shadows of the night, so to speak. Uh, when they go into that class together, it's going to be interesting to see how those two interact with one another. But when you look at who Dwayne will choose to present him, I, you know, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to say that he could get Chris there, right? Chris being a former or, you know, a current Hall of Famer who's already in the Hall would be eligible to present him. But I don't think he'll go that route. Uh, I think Dwayne being the Chicago guy that he is would ask Michael Jordan to do so. I, I could also see a world where he asks Michael and Scotty to present him there. I also think that maybe he will also ask Pat there because I think so much of, you know, obviously their careers, their own relationships off the court uh, have been tied together for so long. There was the friction in 2016. There was the reparation of that relationship. There's all the goodwill that was created, I think, with the retirement tour and the three-day celebration of his retirement and everything else. So I think it's all water under that old bridge, and I think it would be nice to see Dwayne and Pat up on that stage together, just like Chris and Pat were up on that stage together. The fact that they were able to squash whatever issues they had from also 2016 was a positive sign there. I don't know. Uh, I think the Michael Jordan one makes a lot of sense because I'm very sure that that's who Dwayne grew up idolizing. I think, you know, obviously you don't grow up uh, in Robbins, Illinois without wanting to be Michael Jordan to some degree. I think he spoke of that when he joined the Bulls in 2016. I know a time period a lot of people want to or choose to forget, but it did happen. That allegiance is there. And I'm sure that Chris will be there anyway. Chris Bosh will be there to see his friend enshrined to the Hall of Fame, just like LeBron will probably be there in 2023. Whether he's still an active player or not remains to be seen. But who else from the Miami Heat will eventually be enshrined with the team for in the Hall of Fame, excuse me. I think Eric Spolstra will. And if he has to choose who would present him, I'm sure he will have Pat Riley present him. I'm sure he will also have Dwayne and Chris present him as well. Who knows when that enshrinement will take place? Well, I guess I should start off by saying that there are probably some people who are dubious about Spoles' qualifications, just as they were dubious about Chris's qualifications. To them, I say, you're an idiot, because Eric Spolstra is undoubtedly going to be a Hall of Fame coach someday. I, I don't think there's any denying that. I think he's clearly a capable, a proven winner, and just he's just gone to the playoffs a number of times, five trips to the finals, etc. There's no way around it. He's a, he's a Hall of Fame coach. The fact that he's been out of the playoffs in a couple of seasons, etc., you don't hold that against him. Even if he's a first-round exit, I don't care. I don't care if he misses the playoffs for the rest of his tenure. I don't think – if he if he loses – if he has a losing record for the next five seasons, he'll still go in the Hall of Fame based on what he was able to accomplish with the big three and, and during the peak of Dwayne Wade's career. So he'll be a Hall of Famer for sure. And having said that, I, I can imagine a world where he'd have Pat on there. Maybe he would feel torn as to what players he'd want uh, uh, up there to present him. But I think his relationship with Dwayne being as strong as it is makes a lot of sense. Uh, the friendship he formed with you know, CB also makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I don't know if he'd want LeBron up there eventually, if, if that's the case. That would be... That would be great theater, right? Because, I mean, it makes a lot of sense for him to be here because of the success of the big three and to actually have them on stage as his presenters would be wonderful. Um, but who else? Jimmy Butler? Kyle Lowry? Are they locks for the Hall of Fame? No, they are not. I, I, a recent piece by The Athletic 
talked about active players that seem likely to be enshrined at some point. Kyle, uh, certainly there because of the championship experience. I, I think a lot of people more on the periphery when it comes to fandom would probably challenge that Lowry is a, a clear Hall of Famer, but I, I think he's certainly worthy based on his international success, a gold medal winner, and also the fact that he's had an uh, incredible success at the NBA level, multiple All-Stars, All-NBA nods, uh, a championship with the Toronto Raptors, obviously. If he can add to that resume, I think that will only increase his opportunities there. Uh, I think Jimmy Butler similarly will also get the nod. Maybe not first ballot Hall of Famers, but I don't think that matters. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I like opening it up to everybody. These players, they have tremendous impact. Uh, at the time that they're playing. And over time, we forget how impactful they were. You can just boil it down to simple numbers and go, oh, those don't really stand out. But look, if you look at CB's tenure during the big three where his numbers decreased widely, I, I, I could see the argument as to why he's not, but that takes the context out of it. And so that's why anybody who proposes that this player is probably quote-unquote worthy of the Hall of Fame, there's a good chance that they are. I mean, look at Mitch Richmond. I thought he was a he's a, a recent example of a player that was added and didn't have the kind of success that is often a criteria for enshrinement because he he had one title uh, at a time when he was already a, a, a bench player and not really a con contributor to uh, that three peat during the Los Angeles Lakers run. But Mitch Richmond was a fantastic scorer for a long time who just played on really really crappy teams and that was through no fault of his he was a member of the sacramento kings actually he got traded to washington in exchange for another player whose statistics and production were widely disputed as hall of fame worthy and that's chris weber and i'm glad to see that weber was enshrined this past weekend because look if you watched weber play there's no denying that he's one of the all-time greats like that guy just could do so much from stretching the floor to making incredible passes as a big man you know, yes, he played the four spot, but in today's NBA, he'd be a center. He's, he's as big as Bam Adebayo. He was a, a great rebounder, great ball handler, could bring the ball up, make plays for others, great score. Uh, not a great defender, but you know what? Who cares? This is the Hall of Fame. It's about fun, and it's about these players that make an impact on the entertainment purpose of basketball. And to that, I say Jimmy Butler absolutely deserves to be there. So does Kyle Lowry. And I think Bam Adebayo someday will be there as well. But that's it for today. I, I'm glad I got an opportunity to talk some more about the Hall of Fame, but also to talk about the potential addition of John Wall. Agree, disagree, let me know. You can always reach out to me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskAllTheHeat. Be sure to please follow the show and leave a review. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's episode. And thanks most of all to you for taking the time to hear me. I'm David Ramil. Signing off for now.